Shade at Black Girls Texting. I know y'all see my text. You better answer me back. I'm Chels Pinky, also known as the washing machine queen. I'm classically trained. Me, 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 me. It's Glenn at Best I Brat. Wow, you did us. Goodbye. Welcome, welcome to Black Girls Texting. Each week, we spill a little tea in our group chat, and each week, we let you in on it. I'm Chels Pinky. I'm Glenn at Bedstye Brat. And I am Sade at Black Girls Texting. We are super, super excited today as we have a guest that we are so, so excited to speak with. Today, we have Antonia Okafor. Hi, Antonia. Hey. <laughs> so we all saw the um, the Vice video of uh, about black conservatives, and we really thought that your story was interesting, and we wanted to connect with you. So thank you for joining us. Um, is there any like specific information that you want to share with the guests as we get started in terms of like an intro about yourself? Yeah. So I'd say. Um, in short, I'm a gun rights activist. I, or at least that's what you know most people know me as um, when it comes to Vice and stuff like that. I'm also, like you said, a conservative, <laughs> which nowadays is like a big deal if you're black and conservative. Um, but really, I mean, I just I grew up in a suburb of Dallas, Texas. Uh, my parents are Nigerian; they're immigrants, um, and you know, I just kind of grew up in a middle class family, and I realized in college that what I grew up, you know, understanding as what was my political affiliation really didn't um, reconcile with the values and the beliefs that I had. And so I've just been vocal about those since then. I started an organization called Empowered, which is a gun rights organization for college women. And Mm. I'm just about empowering young women. Um, So that's really what my, my my whole life is about right now. That's super interesting. Did you grow up um, using guns? I did not, no. So like I said before, my parents are from Nigeria. So that whole thing was just, I mean, the Second Amendment and everything like that was just not something we talked about. Um, Not really that they had strong beliefs or rather my mom. So my another part of my story is my father went to prison when I was about five years old and um, mm. for a drug traf- trafficking crime. Um, but so I didn't really grow up with any of any type of strong feelings one way or another about guns and didn't grow up with them at all of shooting or anything. Um, it wasn't until I was 25, which is just a few years ago when I actually shot a gun and that was after being an, an activist for a couple of years. So this is pretty, mm. you know, new to me. Um, but I'm just as passionate about it if it were somebody who grew up with it though. Wow. That's super interesting. So talk to us a little bit more about that passion. Um, You said you didn't actually pick up a gun until a few years ago, but you've been, from my understanding, lobbying for the rights to bear arms prior to that. What was it that, um, I guess, made you make that shift or determine that that was something that you thought was important? Yeah, I think the the common, um, you know, thread in my story, I believe, so far is that, you know, I I grew up, um, unfortunately, with the repercussions of being a sexual assault survivor. I was sexually assaulted when I was about five years old, um, actually back in Nigeria. And um, the problem with that was that I um, was always seeking something 
to empower me after you know being at the worst moment of my life and feeling disempowered completely mm-hmm. um so whether that was feminism whether that was you know being a part of groups that really um like focus on women and getting into spaces that they haven't been into before like politics like policy um it was in grad school dealing with you know really dealing with um me and my sexual assault past um that i realized that you know what here i am saying that i want to empower women as much as possible and at the time um well it was like 2015 at the time i was grad school and that's when Obama put out that report about the sexual assault, um, the report that was focused on sexual assault on college campuses mm-hmm. countrywide. And I was just at that moment of, well, they're talking about this bill called the Campus Carry Bill, um, SB 11, and they're trying to push it through. And it's about basically allowing me as an individual to have the right to be able to utilize a tool if I use it the right way so I can protect myself in situations like they're talking about, like I would get texts all the time of this person was sexually assaulted over here next to this park, or this person Mm -hmm. was exposed or sexually assaulted on in the bathroom like a week ago. And it was just concerning to me that here I am this advocate for women of empowering other women because I felt, you know, disempowered and also, you know, they didn't really have the conversation as well of, well, here's this thing called gun rights, you know, and campus carry and women are just as capable as men of being able to utilize that to protect themselves. So why don't we allow everybody, particularly students to be able to protect themselves? And so I got into that space. I became a leader pretty quickly and really just became passionate about passing that bill because, and passing and implementing that bill because it was came back to me as a woman, as an individual of empowering other women on campus as well. And that's how I felt like you would be able to do that on campus. That's so interesting, Antonia. I mean, this is going to sound a little silly, <laughs> but I am a big fan of like of dystopian shows. So like The Handmaid's Tale. Mm-hmm. And as a liberal, I find myself feeling like we should have the right to bear arms as well. But something that always like is a pushback in my mind is being a black person. Is that right the same? Like if, if we all were carrying um, as black people, would that be safe for us? Have you ever mm-hmm. thought about like that or have you ever had pushback in terms of that conversation? I think I think there are different different facets to that. I definitely get that question a lot. Um, actually, and I get a pushback for that a lot as well. I think the first thing, though, is that even we're dealing just with specifically campus carry, it's concealed carry on college campuses. So it's concealed carry. So the whole thing is that no one's supposed to know that you have a gun in the first place. If you are, if you are printing, printing is when um, you can see the outline of the gun, the firearm um, underneath Mm. your clothes, then that is also you still get in trouble for that, that you're breaking the law for that as well. So it's concealed carry. So that alone, the fact is that I'm sure you've been around people you even know that you have a gun. There are a lot of black people I know as well don't even know you have a gun. They're not going to know when I have a gun because I'm doing things the right way. So I th- I'd say with that alone is that no one should know if you're being a lot of biting gun owner that and you're doing a concealed carry uh, method. Not saying you can't, 
Mm-hmm. Um, but if you are, you shouldn't know anyways. Um, but then even even if just someone does know, I think the fact of the matter is, is that the reason why we have this perception of, you know, black people and firearms, um, I frankly believe it's, you know, a lot to do with Hollywood. Uh, when mm-hmm. we do see someone who is African-American and has a gun, it's usually not in the right context. It's someone right. being, you know, gang members or whatever stereotype you want to use. Right. But when you mm-hmm. see someone who's white or a different race, right, or you usually see a white male, you're usually seeing men as the police officer or somebody who's, you know, the perception is that he's there to save the day with that gun, right? Mm -hmm. So that's why we have this perception, unfortunately, right now of, well, if this is what people think of when they think of someone with a gun, well, then I'm already at a disadvantage. And I, I definitely understand that. I definitely think it's fair to say that, I, I'm definitely not going to say that I think it's completely safe for someone, even open carrying as an African-American female going right. out. But it's not going to change if I'm against that. Does that make sense? If I'm saying, you know, stop that whole culture altogether because yeah. that's not safe. Well, then less people even see us, you know, law abiding black women, black men who have guns, making it normal for them. So then they eventually will see that as safe. So that's why I don't I don't use that narrative as something to, you know, have that as a reason to stop what I'm, you know, trying to try to push. Mm. I wanted to step back and um, highlight what you had talked about in regards to like feminism. Would you define yourself as a feminist? Absolutely. I just yeah, absolutely define myself as a feminist. Yes. And have you ever felt, I I mean, I think the three of us talk about this a lot, that the the feminist community feels very, we feel very isolated within that space as black women. Um, Like it doesn't really speak to us or our like pressing concerns at the time that we're living in in our lives. Like it feels almost like this kind of privileged kind of group. Perhaps it's because of the people we're dealing with in New York City, but we've talked about this before, like going to the um, Women's March. I just felt like I didn't see anyone that looked like me or that had any ideals that I shared. And I wondered if you ever felt that sort of isolation (laughs) before. Oh, yeah. And I felt that even of my stories that I don't know if I share it too much in Vice. Um, I honestly didn't watch it too much because it's like, I'm not really sure they're going to portray me correctly. So I didn't watch too much of it. But from what I hear, they did a pretty good job. But one thing is that, you know, I used to be a Democrat. So Mm. I went from, I voted for Obama not just once, but twice. Um, So my whole thing is that I believe, um, you know, with this whole thing is that feminism in general. I never felt that way too. I never felt like I was, that it was inclusive to me. I mean, even just reading uh, The Feminine Mystique um, by Betty Friedan, it's just like, to be honest, if I'm just being honest here, it's just like, it just sounds like you're, just, it just sounds like you are complaining about the fact that you get to like stay at home with your kids like too much. And I'm sure some people are be like, that's not what it's about. Okay, I know, I understand it. I've taught feminism to inner city girls like, for years I understand it but even them they will tell me the same thing they'll say like it's not for me mm-hmm. just like as much as you know you're saying you know gun rights are not for me like well there are people who are saying feminism is not for me because they don't see themselves in the mainstream narrative right mm-hmm. and they don't see the problems that they think say are problems that also affect me as me as a woman who also had a father that went to prison when I was five years old um 
man, I wish I had that opportunity where I had a mother and a father at home. Um, and my mom had that choice of she, whether she got to stay at home or not. It's still different. She's still a feminist, but it's still different in how we actually apply um, that feminism, that equality in our lives, right? So um, growing up with that, I always wanted to reclaim that term of feminism, the fact that all it's about is the equality between men and women and pursuing that through political means, through social means, um, through, cu- through cultural means. Um, and I don't believe that it means that you, A, you have to be pro-abortion or B, you have to look this way or even be advocating for things that I say, I mean, look at Lean In and the criticisms of that book got, I mean, saying things like, oh, well, we just not empower ourselves to hire a nanny so we can be able to do that. Look, not everybody is able to have the income to do stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And with that, I think it isolates a lot of people. Um, so, yeah, I, I definitely I'm so passionate about reclaiming that term feminist or feminism, because whether you're a liberal or you're Democrat, Republican, lib- libertarian, there are a lot of people still feel isolated and they don't feel like they're included in that term. But really, it's for everyone. It mm. really is. Yeah. yeah, I'm hearing that a lot come up from what you're saying, that representation sounds like it's uh, really important to you. I want to jump back a little bit to two things, um, this idea of safety was there ever a time that you considered, I know, I know a lot of um, women in my community are taking like uh, Krav Maga or like all these different self-defense classes mm-hmm. as a means to, to feel safe and empowered in this, on, when they're walking alone or what have you. Um, did you ever go there first or was it just like, I think we need to, I need to carry. That's the way that I'll feel the safest. Yeah, for me, it was, you know, I definitely, I remember, you know, not feeling safe on campus and looking for resources on campus where I was like, okay, I need something, something with self-defense, right? They're not going to let me carry, so, you know, what am I going to do? And they would have, like, a couple of classes with, like, the campus police, and it, it would always be, like, some old website that you're not even sure the last time that they did something um, on campus, mm-hmm. and it would be, like, a self-defense, you know, type of a class or seminar but really especially now knowing what I know now I actually started taking Krav Maga after you know becoming a grunge rights activist and doing training and getting training and everything like that Krav Maga actually goes really well with firearms training it's meant to be integrated together mm. um, and to be integrated together um, so like one or the other right you find out that really they go well together. It's you're getting to the point where if you have those self-defense techniques and unfortunately at the end of the day, if that other person has a gun, that's great that you have Krav Maga, you know, you know, um, expertise and technique, but talk to any trainer at the end of the day, like you're supposed to also understand how to be able to disarm that person because they have an advantage over you, period. They have a gun, they have an advantage over you. And so you need to be able to, um, at that point, either disarm them or be able to, or disarm them and then use that firearm against that person. So whoever has a firearm at the end of the day is the person who has the upper hand. And I'm just about, I've always been like, why would I want to stop in the middle? Why would I just want to be just, you know, there just enough? Why don't I just go all the way and know how to use the ultimate means of equality and being able to protect myself in that situation? And do you believe that that's just the reality of the world that we're living in now, or we need to be on guard in that kind of way? 
I mean, I think it is. I just, it is the reality, period, mm-hmm. whether you want to believe it or not. Um, I've had people who, like, I remember this girl, I'll never forget, at Georgetown when I spoke there. And this girl just in tears in her eyes, she's like a high school student, and she's just like, why would you think that, um, why would you think that it's acceptable to use violence against violence, right? And unfortunately, I mean, we can, we can talk about the civil rights movement and stuff like that. We can get into that, Malcolm X and everything. And the fact mm-hmm. is that, unfortunately, that's the reality of this world, is that there's always going to be people who are going to find a way to have an upper hand against you. And you can decide to go that, way, that route. Unfortunately, a lot of people end up, you know, not succeeding and, and dying when they decide, you know what, I'm not going to go to the... The, the way that other person is going and use that to, um, means of force. But at the end of the day, unless you have some type of means of force that is equal or at least, or at least equal to the other person, you're not winning. Um, and so I just don't see that as empowering to, to say, you know what, let, you know, just go that other way because, you know, I don't believe in guns. No, I don't believe in the person who is using that tool for evil and mm-hmm. I want to protect myself and I want other people that I love to also be, have the um, to be able to come to the table with an equal means of protection as well. Sorry, I just okay. want to ask one more question, you guys. I want you okay. to go back. Uh, you just said something about you don't believe in the person that's using that tool for evil. Can you mm-hmm. speak more about that? Because I think that is where I bulk at this idea because, you know, people are, are getting firearms like it's nothing and, and like inflicting extreme harm on this country. Mm. So can you expound upon what you think when you have the idea of someone getting a firearm like it's nothing? I mean, from my understanding, right, when, when I hear these stories of these like young white men that go into public places, they're going and getting like full magazine clips or like these types of firearms that it seems like, why does a, an everyday person even need to be able to possess that? Why are those even mm. being sold? Um, that you can get a license and get like an automatic or like whatever it's called, like a machine gun type of situation or something that you can set off like several, several rounds. Like it's made for military use. You can buy it and have it on the street. Like what do you do? You believe that there needs to be some reform around that about like what's available for people to get? Um, yeah, yeah, I think unfortunately so. For one, you can't do that. Buying a full, you can't just get a fully automatic, um, you know, in you say a case machine gun or um, a a rifle that has a fully automatic mode. So when people say, for example, um, um, an AR, they think automatic rifle or Mm -hmm. um, assault rifle, right? AR for one does not mean that. It means it's just the the name of the creator of that that type of rifle, the AR-15, which is Armalite. So that's where the AR comes from. Um, When someone says assault rifle, you're not going to see assault rifle just on the street. For one, most people can't get that. You have to have a class three license, um, an FFL. I mean, the and the money behind it's ten to twenty five thousand um, dollars in order even to get that type of, of stamp in order to acquire a firearm like that. And that's why you only see them in gun ranges. Mm-hmm. So but what about that? What about the piece that can that like the modifier that you can put on like any gun? Are you talking the bump stock? Yes. Yeah, so the bump stock, which is now um, been uh, banned um, by the Trump administration, which we're not happy about that one. That one is for one as a a um, 
an instructor myself, I've seen maybe one person at the gun range who's actually used that. And even then, you have to know exactly how to use that to even get close to simulating what it would be for a fully automatic um, rifle, and they don't. So it's not the same. It's some, first of all, no, m most people didn't even get it before it was even banned. It was very rare to see it. And then if they did, they would need to know exactly how to use it. And most people don't know how to use it. So, um, and even then, so semi-automatic semi rifle or semi-automatic gun, which is what you usually see pistols and stuff like that um, in mainstream, that is one round per trigger pull. So when you're seeing anything that's more than that, that is a fully automatic rifle or, or gun, and that's not something that the everyday person can just go out and get. And that's, that's hardly ever what we see, even in situations with mass shootings. What we're seeing is, I mean, even in Virginia Tech, that second Virginia Tech shooting, he used a 22, which is one of the lowest calibers that you can get. In fact, you're sometimes your people can literally shoot at you with the 22 because considered a training gun that mm -hmm. there are some people who are big enough or they're on drugs enough that they're not even aff afflicted by it. So the thing is, is that it always comes down to the person behind that firearm. You can use a 22, you can use a, you know, a hunting rifle, you can use a, a 5.56 AR-15, which is what people usually refer to when they're t talking about ARs in general. Um, but at the end of the day, it's that person behind it, whether they can use that for self-defense, for preventing people from getting harmed, or they're gonna use that to kill people. For example, with the rifle, um, we can look at Southern Springs in Texas that just happened last year. That man was a former NRA instructor. Mm -hmm. When that man, the other man was shooting in the church, he went back to his house, got the rifle that he has, went back, and because he was too far away, because usually people are using rifles for distance um, rather than a handgun, which is usually better for um, uh, up close type of range. Mm -hmm. So he was using that rifle and he used that rifle to stop that shooter in Southern Springs. That man went to his, his uh, car and fled. So here's a situation where someone who, I know you're going to hate this term, the whole phrase of a good person with a gun, mm -hmm. stopping a bad person with a gun, but it's true. It happens every single time. It depends on the person behind it. So and that's I was, the problem. So then so then should we have like psychiatric tests done for people who wanna own guns? But then when that comes into play, there will be racial bias. And like it, I feel like it's like a never ending kind of circle. But just for a second, because we've been talking a lot about guns. Um, mm -hmm. You mentioned that you voted for Obama twice. Mm -hmm. Did you vote for Donald Trump? I did vote for Donald Trump, yes. Oh, interesting. <laughs> <laughs> did I not say it in the vice thing? I was wondering. That's funny. I don't know. I didn't say a lot of things then. <laughs> because I know a lot of conservatives are conservative and they hold conservative mm -hmm. beliefs, but they distance themselves uh, you know, from Donald Trump because mm -hmm. of many reasons. Um, how do you think Donald Trump represents a black woman, first generation hmm. um, human being as yourself. So Donald Trump himself does not obviously represent me, um, but who he, what he, um, his values that he uses um, under his platform, those are the values that I have as well. I mean, we can talk about the Second Amendment um, against Hillary. That was definitely 
she was not on my side when it came to advocating for the rights of individuals like me um, to empower them with the Second Amendment. I, I believe that Donald Trump was the one who was going to be able to implement that. Um, the pro-life issue is incredibly important to me as well. And I know that this is where we're going to differ. I do believe it is that policy alone is something that empowers black women. Um, I just don't believe that saying that you're empowering a woman to then also basically end her pregnancy another black woman who might have had another black woman in the future right so i don't see how it's empowering to um not have the ability to be born at all um and i think that affects the black community especially um i think it also comes back to i was raised by my parents my family um, they're still Democrats, but mm -hmm. they're also very conservative. Mm -hmm. And I think you see a lot of that. You would say that definitely in the Hispanic community, but I also do believe I see that in, you know, not just the African community because my parents are African. I'm sure we can have a whole, you know, African <laughs> yeah. versus, you know what I mean? The yeah. African versus black American type of cultural, uh, you know, thing there. But uh, the values that she implemented to me, she's Roman Catholic. My family's Roman Catholic being pro-life, um, being uh, fiscally conservative, the small business aspect coming here, that, that's, that was their livelihood. Um, the fact that, you know, it was community over the government because that's really literally how we're community over the government because that's really literally how we're able that we pay to to maybe um, bribe some police officer to be able to um, actually do their, their job. So mm -hmm. things like that, those values, I believe, um, actually relate and correlate best with the values of conservatism. And that's the umbrella right now of the Republican Party. Do I agree with everything that they've done? No. For example, I believe criminal justice reform is a conservative issue. If you believe in limited government, then you shouldn't be empowering um, law enforcement, who is also part of the government, um, mm -hmm. and saying that they should have, um, or even you know judges are saying that they should have um, the ability to determine mandatory minimums, which is the reason why when my father went to prison for 20 years for a drug trafficking crime, mm. or um, saying that the judge doesn't have access to this person, this case that they're actually um, above, and then saying, no, you can't because the government says that you have to have serve this type of sentence. I don't think that's limited government, and I don't think that's actually um, reconciles well with the conservative platform. At the end of the day, though, I was a big Rand Paul supporter. I was on his campaign, mm -hmm. wanted him to win, did not want Donald Trump to win. I didn't believe he was conservative. Um, at the end of the day, I voted for him because of the Second Amendment issue, because of the pro-life issue, and because of the fact that the Supreme Court justices. Um, unfortunately, he did not really come to fruition on the fact with the Second Amendment issue when it comes to bum socks, but um, the pro-life issue and the Supreme Court issue, I do believe that it was better. Again, I preferred Rand Paul, more of a libertarian than him, but that's what we got at the end. So I'm curious on your thoughts of like go forward, you know, 2020, the election is a big conversation. Do you feel mm. as though Trump has done enough to earn your vote again? Mm. Or is there someone else that you think kind of more aligns with what your beliefs are? Because I think it's really great that you talked about, you know, the African-American community, um, some Africans as well as the Latin community mm -hmm. do sometimes lean more towards the conservative side. But you have seen these conversations of some conservatives being like, OK, hold on, this is not what we expected. So I'm just yeah. really curious to see kind of 
what will play out down the line because I feel like now it's kind of like an extreme of like so many people on the democratic side more liberal side kind of coming to the forefront but to be honest I haven't heard too much conversation about like what conservative people are coming forward to kind of like I don't want to say offset Trump but to kind of represent the people who um, have lost his trust in a way mm-hmm. yeah well I think those same people didn't trust Trump even beforehand. So within the conservative circle and movement, um, you know, you hear about the never Trumpers, right? Um, and stuff like that. I think those people, actually, some of them actually have converted to to Donald Trump. And because of what they've seen, um, they've actually said, you know what? He has actually implemented conservative um, policies. Um, you know, the NRA was behind him. He has, has been a very integral part of his policies on the Second Amendment side. Um, even sometimes with the bump stock side, which that's a whole nother podcast episode. But, um, but then there's also the Heritage Foundation, which is a very strong conservative um, organization that has been very um, pivotal in passing a lot of conservative policies that Trump inevitably did pass. So I think a lot of conservatives who were weary of him and weren't sure of his record because he didn't have one, um, are actually pleasantly surprised of what he's actually implemented since then. Um, but I would say probably more on like the trade issue for one that he's definitely not conservative on. Um, several other things, especially on the fiscal side, I think that's where libertarians are going to have a, a, a bigger platform because mm-hmm. you're going to be able to say, look, as libertarians, we're conservatives too, particularly on the fiscal side, and we still have not seen um, very big uh, change when it comes to the fiscal conservative aspect, especially on trade, which, you know, what he's pushing right now isn't conservative. So I think I'm not really sure exactly what type of who's actually going to come up and um, try to primary him or, or what have you. Mm-hmm. I think the, the party has already said that they're behind him already, which was different from the first time yeah. when this whole thing happened, 2016, 2015. Um, so they're going to have a lot of, a lot of money to go, you know, to be pushed back against. But I think there will be those who have always been anti-Trump, um, don't believe in what he believes in a hundred percent and will want to make their voice heard. Will it be successful? Who knows? Cause I'm not, I'm not up for, you know, doing this whole guessing game after 2016. Cause I think everybody's just like, you know what? Donald Trump is the winner. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure even the most avid, like, you know, avid conservative Republican did not see that coming. So yeah. who knows what we're going to see? Well, have you have you ever been because you're like especially in the vice video i remember that there was a scene where i feel like you were the only you might have been the only woman and the only black woman in the room have you ever Mm. been discriminated against by white conservatives um i think okay if i'm i think it was when i was in a white dress right it was funny it's funny um is that what you're the scene you're referring to I think so. I watched it a while a while like, back. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. I remember that, and that's. I think that was the, the scene that people were like, "Oh my goodness, they were trying to paint you as this person." Mm-hmm. I mean, the fact that matters. I can't lie to you. Like, absolutely, there. I'm usually the only person, or one of the few people of color, um, in 
a room like that, particularly on a hunting trip um, mm-hmm. in Iowa. I mean, there's just several reasons why I would be the only person of color there, um, regardless of what party, to be honest. Um, and I think that's part of it, too, seeing both sides. But, um, yeah, I've, I've absolutely seen people who are just, you know, like the trash, basically, in general, and <laughs> have 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 made fun of me because or been just blatantly racist towards me there are definitely people like that do i think that actually is uh representative of the party or even people with conservative values no in fact most of those people tend to be alt-right um I mean, I know it's a lot of alt-right people who are pro-universal income right now. So Mm. um, they don't usually tend to actually be conservatives in general. But unfortunately, they've been painted as such um, or even libertarians. So but yeah, no, I definitely have had those experiences. I've seen that um, when Obama, Michelle Obama brought out her book. Mm -hmm. It was absolutely abhorrent and disgusting to me what I would see. images of them basically saying that she she's a man i've seen that so many times and i'm i'm disgusted by oh, it they're i blind. call them she's out beautiful. for it <laughs> uh, exactly what? no but that whole man cult of like you i'm sure you've seen it yeah. of like trying yeah. to paint michelle obama as a man is disgusting and mm-hmm. um i have seen other conservatives um be a part of that um i've also seen other democrats be a part of that too because i've seen that in other aspects as well not just michelle obama but I'm always really focused on calling it out when I can, because if you don't and I and I get pushback, I got pushback also with uh, Steve King. So even in that that film at the end, it tells it says that I uh, was public about denouncing Steve King and finding out um, the things that he said that were racist. Mm -hmm. And I denounced him and I got email after email of pretty top politicians uh, saying they were quote disappointed in me <laughs> and I have known C. King so blah blah well then he shouldn't be continuously saying racist things I don't know it's crazy um, so I think that's part of it is as black conservatives if we don't call stuff out like that when it is there um, yeah, at the detriment of also losing quote unquote fans whatever I don't want those fans anyways if they aren't gonna be true to the fact that there's racism everywhere and that includes our party as well. Hmm. I like that. At least you're keeping it honest. <laughs> well, I mean, if my whole goal though is to change hearts and minds, it's not to be a quote black on black conservative celebrity, mm-hmm. which is what Vice wanted me to like say that I was. Right. That's well, not some of my the people goal. on that, it seemed as though, and that's why I'm glad we spoke to you because it, you for sure it was the least of that but some of the people on the documentary Mm -hmm. it seemed and i hate to use this and i'm not calling you this in any way shape or form but it seemed like some of them were were like sambos or like neo minstrel shows like just up there saying like kind of ridiculous things that weren't even in their own interest on that documentary specifically so i was just like oh like i i love to hear every you know every different point of view but i was like it seems like these people are being used right now Mm. are you saying like in regards to like the um you don't have to call out people if you don't want to but like are you saying like in regards to i would say if you're talking about that time the time when they had in dc the black set or something that that was was one example (laughs) okay okay um well yeah and just some of the things that were said but but glenn i think you had a a more positive question that you wanted to ask (laughs) um so our you know the concept of our podcast is about 
sisterhood and friendship mm-hmm. between black women. And I was curious about um, whether or not you have that sort of community around you, um, mm-hmm. what your relationship has mm-hmm. been, maybe even other black women that share your beliefs. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so even, I mean, obviously my family, you're like, that doesn't count. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I mean, even then I even talked about it openly in Vice. Um, I mean, I've had conversations where my sisters were like, you're a traitor. Like, mm-hmm. so things like that. I mean, we're still so sisters now, so it's okay. But <laughs> we're good. Um, but part of the stuff that I've had, I've had, you know, BT also do it. They were focused on the hair of course mm. um and Wait, on your one hair? black woman yeah on my hair oh, yeah i know uh, there's that that's a whole nother thing too i can just I'm like come on you can be against me on issues but don't hold us back by continuously making everything about our hair for goodness sakes like mm. we have more to <laughs> say than our hair thank mm. you um but it was awful so it's okay um <laughs> just be honest um <laughs> i've grown since then um <laughs> anyways but the other thing with that was just that girl I remember a girl coming and she's like I just thought it was I don't agree what you have to say but I'm just over that and over you know black women tearing people down I mean the same way I do have um we have a new podcast called trigger warning where we talk about segment issues and we talk about um you know feminism she's a libertarian actually she's a libertarian lawyer she's creole um and so she's on the show with me and we're co-hosting that so um she's in colorado we're both in colorado probably like the only like black people in you know about 100 miles in denver area but it's good (laughs) in general and um i also have uh several other people who are completely on the other side but they understand the gun issue and so i think that's what it comes down to is my my whole thing is that the gun issue is important to me. I really don't believe that it it's one party or the other or even one ideology or the other. Do you get self-defense or not? And I have a progressive friend, several progressive friends who, who understand that. Um, and they're black and they don't agree with what I have to say. But um, they've been really great about showing that friendship of you know black women together. Because again, black women are the fastest growing demographic group of gun owners in America. Hmm. It's for a reason. And most of them are not Democrats. Most of them are Democrats. They're not Republican or conservative. So there's some, there's some thread to that. Yeah. I know a lot of black people with guns, like my friends and like that are from North Carolina. Um, But um, just really quick, because I always am having an internal battle with myself. I am, I would consider myself as a liberal, but I'm also proud to like love god i don't know (laughs) so but also like that's just my my life and my belief and i don't feel like it's my right to push that on others so like with the with abortions for for instance i would never want to have to do that for myself but especially as conservatives who say like limited government you know people should have their rights why is abortion something that the government should even be involved in? Because the government is only allowed limited means of protection, and that's protecting our rights. And one of those rights is the right to life. And I don't think that we can say that we are over now. I, I don't think that intervention is not about 
oh, I as an individual believe that I have protection or rights over my own body. Mm -hmm. But when it comes down to somebody else also having a life in my own body and then not protecting that life as well and allowing them to have their their rights um, protected as well to have life so they can continue to have those rights implemented in their life, then how can we say that that's a government intervention issue? We're not even allowing that person to have life so they can have those rights in the first place. And I believe in the Constitution Declaration of Independence, it is about life. It yeah. says it first, life. But, but then and so that's why I believe that. But then when the baby comes and mm-hmm. let's say the parent can't take care of it, mm-hmm. no government assistance? Well, no one, no one is saying that there shouldn't be any government assistance. I think that's also something that's been convoluted in the conversation. We all believe that there is some type of safety net. It is how long that safety net is applied to each individual, where is it is sustainable for the whole. So what's the problem is now is that we're seeing, um, we're talking about entitlements, we're seeing these programs that basically you it's almost yes sure you're you're re-upping that six months but you're not really reapplying for that six months it's just a a default it's going to be renewed regardless of the situation that you really are in or not and so that's not been sustainable we've seen that in social security which i also have a problem on the fiscal conservative side with you know you'll notice a lot of republicans that they're against entitlements right Mm -hmm. well social security which i believe it is an entitlement now because we cannot pay for it it is not sustainable it is about to go um it is about to be defunct in about few years so we cannot afford it anymore and yeah. so, therefore, we know that is also an entitlement. And um, just because your base happens to also like Social Security doesn't mean so, you know, now it's a good time for the government to be involved. It should be across the board. But also, even more so in that life issue is that it, we're not saying that it's either you are the government is going to be taking care of you or you're on your own. The Republicans or the conservative value is that we believe that it's the community who should have the power to protect their own, Um, that we should be empowering places, institutions like the church, like nonprofits, um, to, again, come up and take the community um, in in times like that and empowering individuals and kin. It is usually the next to kin when people do adoptions, um, empowering them to do so. It is not something where we have to automatically think that because that person, that individual can't take care of that child, that we must have the government come and intervene and take care of them. No, we should empower their the next of kin, their, their family, their communities to be able to um, essentially take care of that woman and their their children. Um, but and I know. think that's part of the conversation when we don't have. I just wonder how many time, like how many situations is that really like an option for some people? Like in some cases, that's really not. Like people, there you know, there's system, there's dysfunction in in some situations, um, and I think that's why some people realize that they're not in a, in a position to raise a child. Neither are their, mm. their family members. So, I don't know. It just feels like a, that's an additional, I don't want to say burden, but, like, some people are just not ready for that. It, for me, if that, if I were to get pregnant it right almost now, feels I like would the be terrified. Thing. Like, terrified. Mm-hmm. And, I, and my parents, I wouldn't want to put that on my, my fa- any of my other family members. Like, I just, I would feel like everything that I've worked for now had to, it, it's kind of over. Um, and it sounds like 
are you prioritizing because so there's two lives here right the one that is Mm. unborn but coming and the one that has to take care of this life and nurture it um and i mean how do you where who do who do you who do you side with if you're saying these two people both have a stake here I don't know. It seems to me that the person that is going to nurture this child and grow it in their own body, that they should be able to decide if that's something that they want to do. But then what about that child that doesn't have a choice at all? And I think part of that is that people will say, well, if they go to foster care or what have you, right, then what type of life are they going to have after that? Well, Mm. I mean, would you say that to the ones who have gone through foster care and are living and even thriving today that, you know what, it would have been better for you if you just weren't born at all than go through those hardships? Like the the fact of the matter is, is that we are all in this life um, going to go through hardships. We're all going to go through trials. Um, sometimes there are times in my life where I do did wish I was not alive because I was a sexual assault survivor because I was raped at a young age. But would I make that decision again to say that I rather wish that my mom aborted me first than me have to go through that? Yes, I went through the horrible things that that acquired after um, my sexual assault, but I would never in a hundred years also say that I rather not had that option to go through life to to experience, yes, the horrible aspects of life, but also the beautiful aspects of life as well. And so I think that we should give every person that choice to make that determination if they're going to have a life that's worth living or not. They get to make that decision, not somebody else. And and that's just, just that's just me. I just think everyone should have that decision of what type of life they're going to have and the beauty that they're going to see and also the hardships that they're going to see as well. We can't as an institute, we can't as a government say that we don't think that this life is as worthy as some other life because you are in a situation right now where you can't see past that. I just don't think that's fair for somebody else. But I don't like how a fetus is not speaking for itself in that way to make that decision for itself. So are you saying that we are making that decision for them? Like the government is supposed to, is is essentially advocating for like a voiceless thing before it's born. So let me make sure I understand. I think I'm you're making my point for me in a ways that yeah absolutely the government should be advocating for protecting the lives of the vo- of people who don't have a voice of those that don't have a voice and we as women as individuals should also be advocating for those who don't have a voice especially as Christians as well um I mean we can just look at the eugenics movement of where the government used that exact same line of thinking and logic to say look you are an immigrant. Look, you are African-American. Look, you are um, deemed mentally, quote unquote, retarded. And we don't believe that you are going to have a good quality of life. And so you shouldn't have any more children. We're doing what's best for you and your future children. Um, 38 states in America in the, ni- in the 1900s believed that same thing. And they had some type of legislation saying, you know what, we're doing what's best, what's most caring, most compassionate for these people who don't know better. They didn't know better, quote unquote, because that other group was the elite, white, you know, um, powerful class that said all these other people don't have rights like I do, don't have, you know, some type of means of having as quality of a life as I do. And so I'm doing the quote unquote compassionate thing to make sure they don't have any more children. But 
yet we're still thinking that that is the same thing in this in this world right now in this you know modern times of we're doing the compassionate thing of not even allowing this person to have a choice of they're going to have a better life or not i think it's elitist to think of it that way i also don't think it's compassionate because we're not allowing people to have the individual lives to make the determination of what they think is best for themselves all right, uh, Shade, you had a question that you've been waiting to ask, so let's let's quickly move on from this topic. Yeah, I mean, I just wanted to say first and foremost, like, thank you for opening up and, like, speaking with for us. Sure. And this really, like, connects to my question because while I don't necessarily agree with everything you're saying, mm-hmm. like, I feel like we've been able to have really good dialogue. So I want to know, like, what your perspective is on, like, more conservative and more liberal people kind of, not necessarily seeing eye to eye because you know you fundamentally if you have different views that might not necessarily happen but like mm-hmm. having more dialogue because through this conversation and getting to know like more of your story like like you said the, you know the vice documentary i think didn't necessarily like try to pick you apart but i did see some members that it was like you know very sarcastic like trying to paint a certain light against them that was clearly like intentional but you in no way, shape, or form were, like, combative in the conversation now or in that um, documentary the way, like, media might try to portray or people might try to portray. So, Or how some other short, people in the documentary were combative. Right, right. But in the long and short of that, I wanted to know, like, what are your thoughts on having more dialogue? Do you think that it's important? Or is there anything that you are doing yourself in regards to facilitating that? I mean, I guess you could say this is definitely one of them. Yeah, no, I I mean, that's exactly why I'm really glad that you guys invited me to the podcast. I love conversations like this. I think we should have more of them. Um, I mean, all I see usually (laughs) in terms of conversations online, it usually tends to be the comments that people like, oh, you're trash, you know, like you're horrible because you believe this way, but they don't know me as a person, right? Um, So I think it's so important for us to have conversations like this. Um, I've always been, and I think it's about the power thing, right? of realizing of well why is it out of all the other races that we have numbers that are in the 90s where all like hispanic and asian every every so often it changes right every so uh, election it changes when it comes to the numbers um i think it was 88 percent for latinos last time when it comes to they voted primarily um, democrat but for us it's always 95 percent 96 percent Right. I just don't think that is really um, empowering us when one uh, political party just uh, is just going to be party just completely is always going to vote for us that same way each and every time. I don't see it as something that's actually um, where we are seen as the empowered ones there. I think um, on ESPN, he said the same thing, too, of you know, basically we are feeling disenfranchised because they know we're always going to get their vote. So I just, even earlier on before I've, I changed parties, I didn't, I was not comfortable with the fact that these people would always feel comfortable with getting my vote. Um, one of the stories I was going to say in the Vice documentary was um, when I was at a Women's for Obama event in 2012. And that's when I was started making my decision of, am I going to change? Am I going to vote this way anymore? I went with a friend to Women's Obama for a bombing luncheon, and I remember sitting in the audience, and behind me 
was this group of you know african-american women who are prominent in the small business um, industry and i remember one of them you know raising their hand and asking you know I hear you, they're talking to the local director, and she was like, I hear you talking about all these different um, strategies that you guys have for all these different communities. This is Obama, again, for all these different communities. Um, I don't hear anything about, you know, the black community. Can you tell us a little bit more about what you guys are going to do for, you know, in, in the black community? And just skinny white you know short pixie haircut woman uh, white woman and she just goes just with no not a care in the world just completely unfazed and she was just like oh well we got 95 percent of you know the black vote last time We're, we don't really need to do anything you know this time Ooh. and i just remember again i was pro obama at this time like looking at them and then them looking at me and us just like looking at each other Right. I'm just like, OK, so that's it. Um, I mean, aha, like this is really what they believe is that they got my vote. I, they don't really need to go over there and like try to convince me. So they'll just go to the Hispanics. They'll just go to Asians. They'll go to everybody else but us because they got our vote. Ninety five percent or more. Right. They don't need to. And I just remember crying and talking to my friends at the time and just being like remembering Atlanta when I voted for him at 18 years old. Remembering being there on the streets in Emory and being so excited that here we are. We have this black president. But yet they already took my vote for granted even then. So I just share that story to remember to, to show that that's what I felt like afterwards. And I think he talked about that in the Vice documentary of people who were pro Obama or who voted for Obama and they changed their mind. And it being a lot of that, of that kind of awakening right now that's happening with a lot of black conservatives of if this is what they think that we are, if it's so easy for them to get our vote now, then what other things are they thinking that they can just easily get from us? Um, I don't think that's just, I just don't think see that as empowering at all for us as a community in general. Um, so yeah. all that to say, I, I'm really excited about, um, we're actually gonna be going to Spelman soon. I, like I said before, uh, black women are the fastest growing demographic group of gun owners in America, uh, but yet people still don't talk to them about it. Um, so our organization Empowered, we're gonna be, uh, have a, an, um, a group an event um in at spelman soon and talking to the women there and just educating them regardless of what party they decide to be a part of doesn't matter it's it's empowering them it's it's an issue of self-defense it's an issue of sexual assault and um just protecting women in general but particularly black women so yeah well thank you so much like honestly the dialogue is necessary and we really, really appreciate you for coming on and sharing with us. And we're excited to kind of just continue to see what you're doing and what you're working on. And hopefully one day, you know, we'll continue having these conversations. And especially as black women, we can just continue to sit down and support one another. So we really, really appreciate you. Well, thank you for having me on. I really appreciate being here. It's It speaks wonders about you guys that you guys are willing to have a conversation about this because in the media, I think they all also want to paint, you know, other sides as well saying that we don't want to hear us. So that's not true. We want to listen to each other. So thank you guys for doing that. Yeah, yes, absolutely. Black women coming together. <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, <laughs> do you want to share your like social handles really quickly before we hop off? 
Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Um, so if you want to follow me, um, it's Antonia underscore Okafor at, um, on Twitter and Instagram. And then um, just the empowered organization in general is empowered underscore 2A. Um, that's the same thing on our website, empowered2a.org. And that's Twitter and Instagram for those handles. Awesome. Thank well, you, you guys Antonia. know that I am running back to San Francisco. Yes, for all the she listeners. has to make a plane. So <laughs> I have to run to the plane. But again, we're Black Girls Texting. Follow us. And we're so excited for you guys to hear this episode. Yes. Thank you so much, Antonia. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Take care. All righty. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. <laughs>